0: If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 3. We're going to pick up our study in verse 11 and take it to the conclusion of verse 26. We began last week healing for the believer and for the non-believer. And so this morning we want to look at part 2. I always like to give a little bit of introduction of what we taught last week. But I thought the scriptures would speak for themselves. So go back up to uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 8, and we'll take it to verse 10. It gives us the introduction. This is from the conclusion uh, of last week, and it leads into this morning's teaching. In verse 8, so he is speaking about the healed lame man, uh, leaping up, uh, stood, and he walked, and he entered the temple with them. And this is Peter and John. Notice How elated he was in the healing. He was walking and he was leaping and he was praising God. Why? Uh, Because from his birth, he was lame. And now he is healed. I think we would be rejoicing also. But then look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. He was a witness. He was a testimony of God's healing. And so in verse 10, it says, then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the gate beautiful of the temple. And they were filled with wonder. They were filled with amazement in what had happened to him. Uh, they were The Greek is saying they were bewildered. Uh, they were awestruck. They've never seen anything like this. And it was a witness, a testimony. Uh, they would see him at the gate beautiful. As he would be there, uh, maybe a family member or maybe a good friend would bring him. And according to the Levitical law, uh, he was seeking alms from the people. And as you came to the temple, Peter and John are there for prayer. And you would see the poor. And so you would have money on you, a shekel or two, whatever it might be. And you would give something to the poor. And then you'd come into the temple. And you'd give money also for the treasury. But I like what Peter and John, last week, when they saw the man, Peter responds and he says, silver and gold have we not, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, the effect and the result is that he's leaping and praising God. As I included last week, if he could do it, he's probably doing a couple of card wheels, maybe even doing a backflip. I mean, I want you to put yourself in his shoes. They say that he's 40 years plus. He's never walked. They know him. They saw him. And now he's leaping and praising God for what God had done. And so let's get into the second portion now. And this is part two. In verse 11, now as a lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together uh, to them in the porch, which is called a Solomon's porch. Or it was also, some of your translation, a colonnade or a protocol. It was the court area of Solomon. And so they were greatly amazed. And so it says here, they remember that they are in the temple of Jerusalem. They're in this Solomon's colonnade now they're greatly amazed and so i want you to remember that they're there for prayer they didn't come for the the sacrifice they came to the ninth hour which was about 3 p.m they came for prayer peter and john they did not go for anything else because jesus is the complete sacrifice jesus is the complete high priest now but they encountered this beggar This lame man, at the entrance of the gate beautiful, this eastern gate that we spoke so much about last week, God used Peter and John to heal this man, this lame man. Now listen to this, the gratitude. He's holding uh, tightly, he's securely uh, to them in his gratefulness for his newfound healing. Notice how quickly the word had to spread. The people ran to the healed, uh, formerly lame man. He was with Peter and John at Solomon's porch. It's another area now. Josephus says Solomon's Port uh, is about the on the eastern side of the temple. But I want to show you this. Notice that the healed man held on to them. When Mary Magdalene saw the risen Christ, she held on to them. She did not want to let go. And it's the same with us when we finally come to saving grace. He heals us of our sins. He heals us of our iniquities. We should never want to let go. Lord, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. And so the gratitude. All this man knows is Peter and John. But Peter has an audience now. There's a phenomena going on in Jerusalem. This is reeling off of Pentecost. Peter's already preached. 3,000 souls have come to saving grace. And now the healings. Jesus said, miracle signs and wonders will follow. But this man is an eyewitness to everybody that was there. They would see him day after day, week after week, year after year. And all of a sudden, he's leaping and praising God. So Peter's audience is there. In verse 12, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, listened to the chiding, Uh, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why is this so strange to you? Or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or our own godliness, we had made this man to walk. So Peter takes the opportunity here. Uh, to hand uh, to hand out to the ministry here, to speak about who it is. It's not Peter and John. And I think sometimes we give the glory uh, to the wrong person or the wrong persons, and, and sometimes unknowingly because the excitement is there. Peter is saying to them, why do you marvel at this? To admire this work. In other words, it's a God thing. It's nothing about Peter and I, and John that is. As if we did this. Take your eyes off of us. We are men just like you. We had nothing to do with this man's healing. Not under our power. Not under our godliness. But it's all about God. I think through the years that I've been in ministry, I know that God has used me. Some of you that have been part of this ministry for a number of years, and you know God can use you just as he can use anybody, but we've learned through the years that we don't take the glory. All the glory belongs to the Lord. We're just servants. We're just an instrument. We're just a tool, an avenue that God uses in somebody's life. I like when we've prayed for somebody here at the chapel, and maybe I've asked some of the guys to lay hands on them, anoint them with oil. And I'll just stand up here and we'll pray. And we're asking God for a healing. And it's next Sunday or two Sundays or, or even six months later. And that person comes up and says, you know that day they prayed for me? God touched me. Finally, he healed me. We have to keep praying. And so how many times did somebody pray for this man, or did they? were they comfortable just to give him alms? I mean, he was a fixture there at the Gate Beautiful. Did they just give him alms? And sometimes, listen to me, we have more to give. What is God going to do in this situation? And so Peter has an audience. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, Peter says, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our forefathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. He's speaking to the Jews when he was determined to let him go. Again, Peter recalls it's not of us, but it's all about Jesus of Nazareth, the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our forefathers glorified his servant Jesus Christ. And then listen to Peter. He's got a hold of them now. And Peter opens up. When you, and he's looking at them, you men of Israel, delivered Jesus up to Rome, denying him in the presence of Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. Did you forget so quick that Pilate tried? to free Jesus. But remember they cried, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. If you were with us through the Gospel of John, Pilate could see no error in Jesus. He wanted to rid himself of him. He tried to wash his hands, that was customary. His wife, Claudia, remember, she brought a note. And she handed it to one of the leaders, and they took it. One of the soldiers have nothing to do with this just man. He's done nothing wrong. Let him go. So Pilate tries. And he offered, uh, because it was customary during time of Passover, uh, to give a pardon to a criminal. And so I'm thinking that Pilate's mind, they're going to give up Jesus. They're going to take Barabbas. But it was the other way around. Crucify Jesus and give us Barabbas. Peter's telling him, Don't you remember what you've done? He's got their attention, folks. Look at verse 14. But you denied the Holy One and you denied the Just One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. He's speaking about Barabbas. You men of Israel, you people of Israel, you denied, listen to the word denial, you rejected. The Holy One, which is the Messiah of Israel, who is just. Listen to the word just. He is innocent. And yet you put him on the cross. He knew no sin, speaking of Jesus of Nazareth. He did no crime, speaking of Jesus of Nazareth. And yet you cried, release to us a murderer, a robber, a thief, the man called Barabbas. Remember that Pentecost has already taken place. At this time, obviously, Peter is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter has boldness. Peter's been enabled now by the Spirit of God. And he speaks with authority. He speaks with power. But it's from God. Peter wants no glory at all. It's interesting to me because Peter had previously, remember, he denied the Lord three times in the Gospel of John. And Peter didn't even want to believe it. Lord, I'll never deny you. Before the day is over, the rooster will crow, and you will have denied me three times. And it happened exactly like Jesus said. In one of the other gospels, Peter goes off and he curses. But then we find later that Jesus restores Peter. Remember the three questions? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. And then Jesus says it again. Peter, do you you really love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my lambs. The third time, Peter, do you really, truly, honestly love me? By this time, Peter's a little bit angry. Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. I believe that God, Jesus Christ, restored Peter. But here he is now. It's after Pentecost. The power of the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of him. And I hope and pray your testimony is so alive that you're able to share with others. Well, Pastor Bob, I can't share like you. I'm not asking you to share like me or anybody else, but share what God has given you. If you've come to Saving Grace, listen, and you don't know all the scriptures, use your testimony. Listen, this is what I was into, and this is what God saved me from. It'll minister to other people. And so this man is an open witness by his actions. They're seeing him. And now Peter is addressing the group. Notice in verse 15, and not only that, but you killed the prince of life or the son of life, whom God raised from the dead of which we are all witnesses. And so Peter, again, you men of Israel, you killed the Messiah. You killed Jesus. You killed the Son. It calls him the Prince of Life. The word Prince is translated Son also, but it it also can speak of the chief leader. And Jesus is the cornerstone of Israel. Notice the prince of life, life eternal, because that is what Jesus came to die for, all mankind, and he will give them eternal life. All we have to do is respond and to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. Then Peter takes it another step. Plus, you're all witnesses. Listen to this. Uh, They were eyewitnesses of the many miracles, signs, and wonders. For Jesus' three and a half years of ministry, here especially, uh, this 40-year-old formerly lame man from his mother's womb, besides many of them, were eyewitnesses of Jesus' triumphal entry. And yet, a short time later, in fact, it's about a week later, the same group that was hailing Jesus in the triumphal entry as he was entering uh, into Jerusalem and coming down to Mount of Olives. He's riding upon a donkey's colt. And they take their coats off. They take palm branches. And they honor him as king. And they cry out Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna, a son of David saved now. This same group, less than a week later, crucify him crucify him. And yet now they've seen the witness of this man. They've seen the testimony of this man. It's the guy that was at the gate beautiful. He's leaping and praising God. Oh, the hearts are being stirred here. Look at verse 16. And his name uh, through faith in his name has made this man strong or solid or firm or complete in his healing, whom you see and you know. Listen to what Peter's saying. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in presence of all of you. Who did the healing? Let's get back to that. God, obviously. How did the healing come forth in the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth how did this man receive it by faith in Christ by faith in his name there is healing in the name of Jesus Christ when I pray for somebody when you pray for somebody you don't pray in your name God forbid I heal you no you don't Christ you're the instrument You're the tool. I hope and pray that when you pray, you always pray in Jesus' name. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, leave a marker there. John chapter 14, look at verses 12 through 14. Jesus teaches now unanswered prayer. Very important here. And so, John 14, look at verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, The works that I do, he will do also, and this is heavy, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Oh, look at the opportunities of ministry the last 2,000 years. Look at the ministry uh, of Billy Graham. Uh, Look at the ministry of Luis Palau. Look at the ministry of men of old. Look what Spurgeon has done. Oh, so much. What about Moody? And God, use these people. Greater works uh, you're going to do. And sometimes we neglect to see that. (laughs) After Jesus rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit falls. He promised that miracle, signs, and wonder would follow, healings were followed. And this is what's happened to this man. Look at verse 13 now, still in John chapter 14. And whatever you ask in my name, here's the key. When you pray, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How do we pray? In the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Very important here. I like what he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. We have to use wisdom because notice the next verse, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, but we have to include according to his will. You see, God knows what is best for me. God knows what is best for you. Uh, Let's be honest. If everything I prayed for, and I've been a believer for many years, and some of you likewise, if everything I believed or or everything I prayed for, I believed I was going to get it, if I did, you wouldn't be here today because you would turn God into a genie. Or you would be, you, you say, well, I can't ask for money anymore. I have too much. You would just rub that lamp constantly. But when I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, what is it in your will? What do you want from me? What do you want to give me, Lord? I'll take what you have. Lord, your will be done, not my will be done. Go back to Matthew 26 when you get home. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he knows that he's going to die a hideous death, and he goes to the Father. Take this cup. Away this cup of death, this cup of the cross, but let not my will be done, but let your will be done. Jesus prayed that uh, three times. So, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do it. If you ask anything in my name, I'm going to do it according to his will. Uh, Look at the bottom of verse 16, back in our text now. Faith that comes through Christ given to this formerly lame man, what else? He received perfect, complete soundness. Listen to the translation. Whole physical healing. It was visual before all of you. There's no denying it. Is it him? I'm not sure. He sat at the gate beautiful. He begged for alms. I gave him money. You gave him money. Is it him? He's leaping and praising God. Well, they never saw him walk. They always saw him uh, sitting on that mat. But now he's healed. God has touched him. (laughs) And to show his gratitude, he's not letting go of Peter and John. Beautiful. Again, verse 17 in our text now, Acts chapter 3, Yet now, brethren, Peter's still addressing the people, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as did also your forefathers or your rulers. Oh, how many times, listen to me, we fit right here in verse 17. The things that I've done through the years in ignorance, the things that I did before salvation in ignorance, the things that you did in ignorance. Praise God that he forgives us. Praise God that he forgives us. Here in verse 17, Peter, looking at the people, they're in Solomon's court. I I know you did it in ignorance. You did it unknowingly. Why? Because you lacked the knowledge of the Word of God, as did your uh, rulers or your teachers. And I'm going to include here your pastors, your priests, your rabbis, because we all have the responsibility. They put Jesus on the cross. And Peter's going to bring that forth. Peter knew that he put Jesus on the cross. And in all reality, each one of us, we put Jesus on the cross. Our sins put him on the cross. Be careful with those that uh, label the Jews. You're the Jesus killer. Listen, we all put Jesus on the cross. We all put him on the cross. But Jesus forgives. Please never forget this verse. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus' arms stretched out at the cross. He's getting ready to give up the ghost, and he looks up into the heavens, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right there, my sins were being forgiven. Right there, your sins were being forgiven. But it took a complete circle 2,000 years later when we finally come uh, to the risen Christ. And so this is what Peter's addressing them. And I have to say this, if Jesus can forgive me, if Jesus can forgive you, if he can forgive those that put him on the cross, the the Romans at the time, can't we forgive others? We're all creatures of habit. Sometimes it's hard for us uh, to forgive. And sometimes you can respond. Pastor Bob, you don't know what they've done to me. And I have to respond to you. Did they put you on a cross? Did they put nails through your hands and feet? Well, no. Did they put a crown of thorns on you and then smash it down and your capillaries exploded, blood everywhere? No. Did they take a, a, a cat of nine tails, a whip, embedded in the end with, you know, stone and and metal, and they ripped your back 39 stripes, did they do that to you? No. Then if Jesus can forgive, can't we forgive? And you know there's a lot of people in the world today, and they're physically ill because they can't forgive. And Sometimes they can't forgive themselves. Our body, the chemicals in our body are built in such a way, and, and we churn them. And we get angry, and I'm not going to forgive her. I'm not going to forgive him. And all you have to do, Lord, help me to forgive them. Jesus, knowing very well what they all done to him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at verse 18 now in our text. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, That the Christ would suffer, the Christos, the Messiah, the anointed one, would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Again, Peter has an audience, and they're Jews, and he's giving it to them scripturally. I'm always amazed at Peter. A simple fisherman, a Galilean, uh, they were the, the weakest speech in Israel, the unlearned people, and yet Peter. Quotes pervatum, scripture. Notice that he says, God foretold by the mouth of his prophets. I'm just going to give you four. In Psalm 22, it's one of the key psalms speaking clearly of the suffering Savior. King David writes this. In Isaiah chapter 53, we're all accustomed to this. It speaks clearly of the suffering Messiah. Let me give you two more. Isaiah chapter 53 Or 43, now 53, and then Isaiah 43 speaks clearly of the suffering servant that is the Lord. The suffering servant of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 3, man has fallen from grace, the serpent has enticed Eve, she ate the forbidden fruit, and then she gave to Adam. And they were walking in the cool of the garden. They were naked. And all of a sudden, they're hiding. God knows it. He says, why are you hiding? The serpent made me to partake. And then, Adam, the woman that you gave me. In Genesis 3.15, I love it, was already the scripture that God had prepared for us. For the last 2,000 years, listen, man fell in Genesis 3. The serpent would bruise the head of Eve, Eve's family, the seed of Eve. And so I want you to think of the suffering Savior, that Jesus would come from the seed of Judah. It it all follows the line when you think of it. Let's go back to our text, look at verse 19. And so Peter now, he brings a... Full circle. He has their attention. What does he say? Repent, therefore, and be converted, uh, that your sins may be blotted out, so that that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent. I, I love Peter because he he has that word in his vocabulary, repentance. Paul, the apostle, repentance. Jesus spoke of repentance. When you preach the gospel, you have to include repentance. Repentance of your sins means a change of mind, change of heart, and a change of direction, and turn to God now. Back in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, because he came to him by night, what must a man do to enter the kingdom of God? Remember the slight rebuke? Jesus says, Nicodemus, you're a ruler of the Jews. You should know these things. But then finally, in John 3, verse 3, and John 3, verse 7, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again so that your sins may be wiped away, made white as snow, Uh, blotted out means to have a clean slate. The psalmist says that God takes our sins and throws them into the sea. He throws them in as far as east and west. You know, in all reality, you come to the Lord, you're praying, and you say, Lord, please forgive me of that sin that I did back in 1970, 1980, 1990, whatever it might be, and it's already under the blood. If you've come to saving grace, it's a done deal. In a sense, God's forgotten it, but it's still there, but he's not going to bring it up. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest a man should boast. Uh, When you think of the Lord, when you think of his beautiful love, unconditional love, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Listen to the words here in verse 19, times of refreshing. Times of recovery. I'd like to use the book of Esther in chapter 4, verse 14. Mordecai says to her, Esther was put on this world, on this earth, for such a time as this. God used Esther to save the Jews at this time. God had an appointed time for you. God had an appointed time for me. There was an appointed time for this lame man. After 40 years, lame from his mother's womb. Silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What a beautiful picture. God provides a day of recovery, listen, for you, for me. Esther was put there for such a time as this. Same with you. When you go to the book of Acts in chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus was placed there for such a time as this. He came to saving grace. Came to saving grace. Uh, Look at uh, verse 20 now. Go back to our text. That he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you beforehand. And so Peter is still addressing the crowd. After true repentance was preached to you and you received salvation, he will send you Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who before was designated and appointed for you, this man Jesus, the God-man, the incarnate God, designated back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 that he made a provision already, that he was looking at you, that he was looking at me. We weren't even part of the picture. Here we come 2,000 years later, and the incarnate God died for me. The incarnate God died for you. Now, some people struggle that Jesus is 100% man, 100% God, but you have to go back to the Gospel of John, and that's what we studied. You cannot get past John chapter 1 without coming to the conclusion Jesus is God. He's the incarnate God. This Logos, which was Christ in John chapter 1, puts on flesh in verse 14 of the Gospel of John chapter 1. It's a beautiful teaching. And yet people don't want to see it. Jesus was prepared for us. Listen. Back in Genesis 3.15. Listen to verse 21 now. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Now, remember, Peter's addressing Jews. They're in Jerusalem. They're at Solomon's porch. He has their attention. They know the scriptures. And so Peter's bringing it forth clearly. Peter is saying Jesus will remain in heaven. Listen. He ascended in Acts chapter 1. By now all of Jerusalem should know that Jesus ascended, Acts chapter 1, after his 40-day post-resurrection. Notice, until the time of restoration, very important here, and until the time all things are taken place. That's what the Greek is saying. I believe until all the gospel is preached to all mankind, and I have to ask the question, has that happened in the last 2,000 years? I believe so. There are those that would say, well... What about over here, way back in the bush country? I believe so, and there are still those who have not heard. I want you to think of Psalm 19. If you're taking notes, write down Psalm 19. It's 14 verses. We're not going to cover it all. But he speaks about God's creation. So nobody's ever brought the gospel to me, or nobody's ever brought the gospel to you. That would be your response. But the heavens declare the glory of God. You can't get away with it. Uh, Listen to verse 1 of Psalm 19, and I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Speaks of God's perfect and complete creation. We have the privilege here and the opportunity here uh, in our beautiful southwest. We're in the high desert. I know we have a little bit of smog, but we don't have quite as much smoke as they do in Southern Cal. That's for sure. And we go out in the morning, if you get up early, if you stay up late at night, you're out there without any lights, you see the creation of God. You see when the sun comes up. You see when the sun goes down. You see the stars. Every time one of our family members come from Southern California to visit, and we go somewhere at night, Mary and I walk out the back door. We're ready to get in the vehicle, and they're doing this. And I know what they're doing, and they're doing this. I go, man, you guys have a lot of stars. I go, so do you. You just can't see them. The heavens declare the glory of God. Some of you know this. When the moon is just right, and it looks like an orange ball, I mean, it is huge. There's that time of the month that it comes. And when Mary and I leave here on a Wednesday night, we're going home and we go up Westmoreland. So it's kind of an incline. At the end, you can see that moon. And I tell Mary, I'm just going to keep going straight. I'm going to go get some cheese. I'll be right back. (laughs) That moon just glows. And it's right there. The heavens declare the glory of God. Somebody but the sun the stars the moon somebody made the day somebody made the night well you know pastor bob i believe in the big bang theory great somebody lit the fuse they need to teach creation as well as evolution in the schools give them both to the to the to the kids look at verse 2 now uh, psalm 19 verse 2 day after day they continue to speak night after night uh, they make Him knowing. What is he saying? The heavens declare the glory of God, and now the heavens and the earth and all creation in it, they speak forth. So you got the the little pygmy out in the bush, and the gospel's never reached him. And maybe the gospel will never reach him. But he comes out, and there's a stream there. He fishes. He sees the, the tides. He sees the change of weathers. He sees the night and the day. He sees the stars and the moon. He sees the sun. He has to think of a creator. And so the heavens declare the glory of God. Back to our text. Now look at the bottom of verse 21. Peter says, which all the prophets spoke. He's talking to Jews that knew the Old Testament passages. What is the biggest need to be restored? Israel. Israel is a thermometer. Israel is everything. Israel, all we have to do is keep our eye on Israel. I'm looking forward to Daniel. He's going to come and share with us. I've fallen in love with Israel 35 years ago, and I still have a greater love now. They're God's people. They're God's land. What is the biggest need to restore? Israel. God's people, God's land, God's city, the holy city, Jerusalem. And again, let me warn you, be careful with those that teach replacement theology that God is finished with Israel. Not true. Not true. Well, you know, after the church, uh, after the apostolic age and such, and and now the Jews have rejected has been handed over to the Gentiles. Yes, we're the grafted-in branch according to Romans chapter 11, but God is not finished with the nation of Israel. Not finished by a long shot. And today, Messianic Jews are are plentiful uh, in Israel and Jerusalem. That's why Daniel, once this ministry started, it's already getting off the ground. Preach the gospel right there. The government allows it. Now let's go to verse 22. I love that Peter is a simple fisherman. He's from Galilee. He comes from the place where Galilee was a, the, the unlearned people, and yet he had such knowledge. Peter here is going to quote pervadum from the Old Testament. Look at verse 22. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From your own brethren, him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And so the Jews in Judea, those that would have been there in Solomon's porch, Peter's preaching, and he speaks to them about the prophecies of Moses. If you're taking notes, the first part of the prophecy is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 16, and I'm going to paraphrase it to you. Moses spoke of the Messiah to come from their own midst, but because of the pompous religious Jews at the time. Speaking of the Sanhedrin, they were looking for a political Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah that would free them from Roman oppression. They were looking for a Messiah to come and set up the kingdom age. But Jesus came in his first advent, As a meek lamb. Jesus came to die for the sins of all mankind. Isaiah says he came and he said nothing before his accusers. And he would go to the cross. But it's in his second advent that he will come to set up his kingdom age. Beautiful. Now, uh, he gets the next section of Deuteronomy in chapter 23, or verse 23, excuse me. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 23, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. He's quoting Deuteronomy 18, verses 17 through 19 now. The prophecy of the destruction would affect the generation of Jews. Then in the last 2,000 years, but listen to the promise, not all Not all, but many Jews have rejected Jesus for the last 2,000 years. The judgment that was getting ready to happen there in 70 A.D., just uh, about 30 years, maybe less, 70 A.D., the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus and the Roman army, they would be scattered, listen, to the four corners of the earth. Jews went everywhere and it wasn't until the zionist movement which was at the conclusion of the 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s that the jews began to trickle back in to israel especially to jerusalem and they says historically they bought back israel may 14 1948 Israel becomes a nation unheard of. And according to Ezekiel's prophecy, she has blossomed. God is not finished with the nation of Israel by any long shot. And here, Peter, you should have read Deuteronomy. Moses prophesied. Look at verse 24 now of our text. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel... And those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. I like that. Again, remember, Peter has their attention. And Peter says, read your Old Testament, all the prophets, and here's the category from Samuel to Malachi, they spoke of this day. They spoke of this day. What's the hardship? What's the problem? Satan has put blinders, and yet there's a revival going on inside of Israel. There's Messianic Jews, and this is what Daniel's part of, and others. It's not over, church. The seven years of tribulation, I believe, is to woo back the nation of Israel to God. I believe there'll be a tremendous revival during the time of the seven years of tribulation. From Samuel to Malachi, the prophets have spoken. Uh, Look at verse 25. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our forefathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Write this down. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. Through your offspring, through your seed, all families would be blessed. How? Through Messiah, through Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, Listen to this portion in the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Abraham and his seed were the promises made. The seed from Abraham, listen, up to Jesus Christ. So you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and it just follows suit. Finally getting to Jesse and then David. And then Solomon. And the blessings would come. Messiah. Again, it was prepared back in Genesis 3:15. He has an audience. They're listening. They cannot deny it. This lame man is a witness, is a testimony. And they're listening. And the conclusion this morning, verse 26: to you first. He's speaking to the Jews. To you first. God, having raised up his servant, uh, Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities, your sin nature. God the Father raised up Messiah from their midst. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 18, a prophet like Moses. Jesus came to bless the Jews first. Salvation is to the Jew first. He came in his first advent to die for the sins of mankind. We know that Jesus would suffer greatly. Again, Psalm 22, Isaiah chapter 53. But they were looking for a political Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah that would rid them of the oppression of Rome. The Messiah came in his first advent to die on the cross as a meek lamb. John, Peter is writing, excuse me, Peter is writing, and he has this captive audience. Salvation has come to the Jew first. Now, we have become the grafted in branch. But God is not finished with the nation of Israel, and so the challenge was put there. I mean, (laughs) tremendous outreach opportunity. But next week, Peter and John are arrested. Interesting. When ministry is going good, ministry is going great. Things are happening. God is you know saving souls. Here comes the enemy. The enemy. Is like a roaring lion, and he's looking for prey constantly, constantly. Even back in Genesis chapter 3, already trying to bruise the head, trying to get rid of the Messiah, and yet he would die on the cross for all mankind. Let's all stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer, and the music team is going to come back up. We're going to ask the Lord to bless. (coughs) Excuse me. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we worship you, Lord. Father, as a witness, as the testimony, went out there in Solomon's court. So many that were there following this healing of this man. But now Peter used it, the opportunity to minister to them. He shared scripture with them. Salvation is to the Jew first, anytime. But also salvation has been given to the Gentiles. And so this morning with every eye closed, every head bowed, maybe the Lord has spoken to you and you still have not come to saving grace. That's that's my ministry. That's what God's called me to do. And so right there in the comfort of your own seat, With every eye closed, if that's you this morning, you'd like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. I'll say a simple prayer of faith with you. Anybody here this morning would like to come to Saving Grace. There's no pressure. It's between you and God. Then if we've all come to Saving Grace, uh, maybe there's some here that need to rededicate that life. Maybe you've meandered. Maybe you've gone astray, and so you need to come to the cross again. You need to just confess your sin. He's faithful. He's just to forgive you. Don't let the enemy rip you off. Well, you know, God's not going to forgive me. That's not true. God is in the forgiving business, if you may. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would just Touch the lives of those here uh, this morning. Father, those listening to the CD later or or those listening to live stream, that you would speak to their hearts. If they've not come to saving grace, uh, they need to receive Christ. If they're in a backslidden condition, they need to rededicate that life. And so, Father, we want to pray this morning as we come to the conclusion that the power of your Holy Spirit would come upon uh, the church. Lord, we desperately need you. We need your power. We need your unction. And, Lord, we've been speaking the last couple of weeks about healing. Lord, we ask you to touch Gloria. We ask you to touch uh, Martha. We ask you, Lord, this morning, whoever it might be, uh, seeking a healing from you, Lord. Touch our frail bodies, Lord, and heal us, Lord. And, Father, we pray for the offerings this morning that as you've given to us, we give back a portion. Bless the offerings. In Jesus' name, we pray. And we all agree by saying, amen.